This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the house. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators' ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Dealing Justice. I'm Jennifer Dubasak. And I'm Lori Jennings. In today's episode, we learn about the slaying of Ernie Ortiz, a popular restaurant owner who was gunned down outside his restaurant on September 12, 2019. Ernie's case was selected to be featured in Kansas's newly released deck of cold case playing cards. Here's Erin Riaz, public information officer with the Garden City Police Department to tell us more. A lot of agencies have played a part in developing the cold case playing cards project. We're very excited because one of our cases here is being represented, but how it came about was according to KBI and Department of Corrections, they started this project about a year ago, back in March of 2021, they reached out to um, all of the law enforcement agencies across Kansas. They had like a submissions process about submitting any cold cases, whether it be homicide, missing persons, things like that. And through uh, a process, we had submitted the Ernie Ortiz homicide case for consideration, and his case was selected. They prioritized 59 cases to highlight on the first deck at 52 cards. So again, Ernie Ortiz's case was among cases selected. So we're excited and humbled about that. And we're just hopeful that we'll get the information and get justice for the family. As always, we would love to see the day where there are no faces to be put on the cold case playing cards. But until that day comes, we will continue telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. Help us deal justice for Ernie Ortiz. This is episode 10, the Ernie Ortiz case, Five of Hearts, Kansas deck. This episode of Dealing Justice brings us to Garden City, Kansas, where someone cooked up a wicked plan for one popular restaurant owner. Garden City is a town on the Arkansas River in southwestern Kansas. In the 1980s, the world's largest beef packing plant opened on the outskirts of town, bringing in thousands of employees who came to live in the area. Many of those employees were immigrants and refugees from war-torn countries and made their home in Kansas. This created a uniquely diverse community, and it certainly lives up to its motto that says, Garden City, the world grows here. Garden City has residents from nearly 50 countries and multiple languages are spoken here. It even has a miniature replica of the Statue of Liberty in front of the Finney County Courthouse, and its residents like to refer to it as the Ellis Island of the Plains. It's the melting pot of Kansas, and of course, the food reflects that. And one beloved restaurateur brought the authentic Mexican flavor to Garden City with his popular restaurant, El Conquistador. His name was Ernie Ortiz. Ernie Ortiz.
Ortiz was born in Garden City, Kansas on November 24, 1949. To say he was born into a big family is an understatement. Ernie was the third oldest out of 14 children. His niece, Dee, explains Ernie's life growing up. There were seven boys and seven girls, 14 children in total. There was always a lot going on. They were all born and raised in Garden City. And all of them actually began learning how to play instruments, read music from elementary school age. In 1963, a family band was formed called the Nick Ortiz Orchestra. The original band members were Ernie and two of his brothers, Nicky and Eddie, their father, Nick Sr., and two family friends, Paul Encinas and Alan Aguilar. Nisti again tells us more. They performed at a hall in Garden City played some country western, I think even some polka back then. My uncle was, I believe he was probably seventh, eighth, ninth grade around that time when that band formed. They were actually pretty popular. So he played with that family band and then also played in band throughout his um, elementary age all the way to high school. Ernie seemed to have an idyllic childhood and no issues fitting in at school where he had plenty of friends. He graduated from Garden City High School in 1967, and his love for music continued. Then in 1973, they had a band called Musical Voyage, and they were considered a show group. And they were one of the hottest groups in um, the country at that time, really. They traveled all over the United States. They traveled to Canada, Mexico, Panama, and they uh, actually had a write-up done about them in a Variety, which was a musical talent newspaper at the time, based in New York City. And that's actually where the group Musical Voyage was based out of. So our Uncle Ernie was the leader of the band, and that was based in New York. And so they played a lot of you know, popular 70s music at the time, some music that band members, group members wrote, original songs they performed as well. Some of my aunts and uncles were also part of that band and traveled with my uncle during that time. And they really, when they came back home to Garden City, they would pack the house. Ernie was never married and didn't have any children, but he loved his many nieces and nephews as if they were his own. His niece, Linnea, tells us more. It felt like I was one of his own. That's how he treated all of us. You know, there's, I couldn't even tell you how many. I know it's about 30-something of us. But anytime he was with us, I mean, it's like his attention was on us and only us. He was extremely selfless. He was very warm and giving. My Uncle Ernie touched so many people, and he was a part of so many people's lives. But really, honestly, when it comes to my whole or key side of the family, if there was anyone to fully represent who we are and what we stand for, it was him. I mean, he was always there. It was always his house that we would gather at. He was really the one that held all of us together because growing up, as we all got older, we all kind of went our separate ways in the sense of we all moved to different states. We all, you know, created our own families. But he was always there to bring us back together. The last time I saw my Uncle Ernie was actually for a family reunion that he helped put on. You know, our, our Uncle Ernie, he was always at the forefront of all the family gatherings, the family reunions, 
weddings. I mean, it didn't matter what family event it was. You knew he was going to be there and play a big part of it. As I look into your eyes and as I hold you in my arms, you will be the one. Ernie's musical talents brought so many people together. Now, in the interest of privacy, Ernie's niece chooses not to use her real name. So we will refer to her as Isabel throughout this episode. Isabel tells us how Ernie continued his musical career. So, you know, at the at the end of the 70s and the early 80s, our uncle left and came back home. He came back to Garden City, I should say. Um, and that's when he started Los Hermanos Ortiz y Amigos, which was the band he had with several of his brothers and other members in the community and they would be playing they played all over garden city and you know the midwest ish area all right we're gonna do one more real quick thank you he uh, you know he made sure that like he shared his music with everybody and then you know he also the church was really important to him as well and that's also where his music he like highlighted his music So he sang in the church choir, and then he was he was the choir director for several years at the First United Methodist Church in Garden City, and it was a great source of joy and fun for him. His niece Dee tells us how important music was to her uncle. It was not unusual to hear live music in his home. I mean, you know, drums, trumpet, keyboard everything like you'd walk in and there would be a full band practicing in the basement and that was not unusual um, and if they weren't playing he had some kind of other music playing and that that was really cool i didn't realize that that was unique to our family until i got a little bit older but i thought that's what everybody's family did not only did he play for you know for our family reunions but he also played for some of our weddings some of our graduations um, so he made it a point to attend and to perform as well. Um, he was well known throughout Garden City, Kansas, uh, Oklahoma, Colorado for Los Hermanos Ortiz y Amigos, and they would be regularly booked to play weddings, any kind of event. They were their name was really was a staple for many many years and they were still playing um, when he passed away. He still had his band when he passed away. Ernie and his siblings were musically gifted. But it was Ernie who went out of his way to support and foster a love of music in his nieces and nephews. They were called fun times centered around music and especially the talent shows at Uncle Ernie's house. His nephew Alex recalls. You know, one year, you know, us, us kids 
or we were in elementary school at the time, we got the idea that, um, you know, we were going to, we were going to entertain our aunts and uncles, grandparents, our uncle Ernie with a talent show. Uh, our uncle Ernie was, uh, was very musically gifted. So he had a lot of equipment there at the house where him and his bandmates would go and rehearse regularly. He was kind enough to let his nephews and nieces go into the rehearsal room and use the equipment. Yeah. We had mics, keyboards, drums. I mean, the whole, the whole production, we had it. And uh, the year of the talent show that I think my cousins and I remember, we were probably down there what seemed like five, six hours rehearsing different different talents that we all had, you know, as, as elementary students. Uh, you know, one of my cousins played a solo on the saxophone. I believe myself and another cousin sang Jingle Bells in Spanish and in English. <laughs> We had a cousin do a ballet dance, but all sorts of various talents uh, that, that we performed for our grandparents, our Uncle Ernie, aunts and uncles. Um, you know, we made programs. It was a full-on production that we had, and, you know, the memory and experience was, was so good that we still talk about it to this day, and I think it's one that, you know, is, is a wonderful memory that we all share together. Ernie's home was the place where holidays were celebrated year after year, and his niece Dee tells us he made his home welcoming and fun. His home was large enough that we would all gather there for Christmas, Thanksgiving. That's where we would go to Garden City, be with Uncle Ernie, be with all of our cousins, and he really enjoyed his family being there. And now looking back on it as an adult, I see how much work he put in to make sure that we were comfortable. There was always food there. He eventually had a swimming pool put in, but then he had a game room put in, and that's where we would all go and play. We would play games. We would play pool. He really created a space for us to just be, to be family, to be together, and he didn't need to be there. He could be somewhere else, and, you know, we would be at the house. We never rang the doorbell. We never knocked on the door. We just, once you got there, you just went right in. He he created that space for us. And so that's what he means to me. He means family, cohesiveness, and making sure that everyone knows that they're welcome. Not just that they feel it, but that they know that they're welcome there. You always have a place with him. Always. Ernie's ability to create a warm and welcoming environment was also a talent of his. This was clearly the case when it came to Ernie's second home, the El Conquistador. Fiesta every time you go to El Conquistador restaurant. The food speaks for itself, and they serve alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks with margaritas just $2.50 every Saturday. It's a party at El Conquistador. In 1981, Ernie and his family opened their authentic Mexican cuisine restaurant in Garden City. It didn't take long for word to spread about the delicious food and warm atmosphere. Ernie's nephew, Alex, tells us more. So my uncle Ernie, um, as well as my grandparents, started our family restaurant, El Conquistador, in Garden City, Kansas. They had that for about 38, 40 years or so. So it was it was around even before I was born and some of my cousins. But I remember it being a part of my life, you know, from a very young kid all the way till you know, the last time I, I spoke with my uncle. My grandparents started the business with with my aunts and uncles, I believe all of our aunts at one point, you know, worked at the restaurant to help get it going. I'm sure many of our uncles did the same, um, you know, helping our grandfather, 
you know, any way they could. So they basically started the restaurant from the ground up. And, you know, out in western Kansas, there's not much to do, but I, I do believe that everyone in Garden City was very familiar with El Conquistador. There would be people from all over the state that would come there for the specific dishes. You know, the food was amazing, uh, you know, all the different authentic Mexican dishes that we had there. But I, I want to say that a lot of people went there just for the experience. Anytime you walked in the restaurant, you would see our uncle at the register smiling. If you had been there one, two times, he would probably know your name. So, you know, it wasn't rare that he would he would mention you by your first name, welcome you back in, and, you know, always have that smiling face. And you know, encourage you to bring, um, you know, other guests, other family members and friends with you the next time that you came in. So I think he had a really strong relationship with a lot of the customers that went in there. You know, they, of course, loved the, the great food that they would get, but the service and just seeing my uncle, you know, was, I think, what a lot of people in, in Garden City really appreciated. You know, when we would go there around the holidays, uh, again, you know, the restaurant wouldn't be open, but my uncle was kind enough to open it for our, our immediate family that would go there. So we have a lot of memories at the restaurant itself outside of, I guess, what would be normal business hours where our family got to go enjoy each other's company. I have a lot of wonderful memories there with my cousins eating bean and cheese dip in the booths. You know, just those memories that we have there, you know, from when we were young children all the way to adults. I think is what we all hold really deep in, in our hearts. And, you know, we have our family memories there, but he he was able to reach out to, you know, all sorts of different generations of students and youth in Garden City because of the restaurant. I can't tell you how many different Garden City High School students worked at El Conquistador, you know, as their first job and maybe even as a job that they would have when they would come back from college. You know, I know um, every time that we would go, he would always make it a point to, you know, introduce his nephews and nieces to, you know, whatever workers may have been there at a particular time. But I know, you know, once I, I was able to you know, go to college. I, I attended a, a local university here in Kansas that was many miles away from Garden City. And once I got there, you know, I connected with kids that were my age that knew and worked for my uncle out in Garden City. So I thought, I always thought that was pretty neat. Once I said, you know, once they said El Conquistador, I said, oh, my uncle manages, he owns it. And they would say, oh, Ernie, you know, best food in town. He's awesome. We love that place. And it was just, a, you know, not only our family restaurant, but I, I think the community as a whole really felt like they had a, a part and a piece of, you know, of El Conquistador as well. It was obvious the community loved El Conquistador, but Ernie's niece, Isabel, explains how the restaurant also meant so much to her family. Our restaurant was like we shared a family place. In fact, you know, we had an aunt who worked there all the time with my uncle. They had a routine and she, she knew everybody who was at the restaurant. We also had another aunt who spent a lot of time with my uncle and a lot of time at the restaurant. He really made it a family thing. And we had several, like throughout the years, our aunts like pitched in and helped. And he also made the restaurant feel like a family, like all of his workers. He really spent a lot of time with them. The restaurant was something really special. One of Ernie's proudest moments was being voted 2014 Mr. Fiesta. Here's his nephew, Alex, again. So our uncle Ernie, you know, one of his last great honors was being the Grand Marshal of the Fiesta out in Garden City. We had family come in just to see him be the Grand Marshal. There was various pictures that appeared in the Garden City Telegram. And in one of the pictures, I can just 
see it in his face, the smile on his face, how happy he was to represent Garden City, you know, the local community there, and have his family present. So being the Grand Marshal was, you know, ultimately one of his, his greatest joys in life. And I know the town um, and citizens of Garden City were extremely proud to have him as well. September 12, 2019. Thursday morning started out like every other morning. Ernie's niece, Isabel, explains. From what I understand is it was a pretty normal day for him. My One of my aunts was visiting and all of our aunts would cook our uncle breakfast. It was like this tradition. I mean, I don't remember a time I was in my house and an aunt didn't cook me breakfast when they were there. Um, but particularly when they were visiting him, they would have breakfast and chat and, you know, he might take some phone calls and then head out to the restaurant and then open up the restaurant and go throughout his day. Here's Ernie's niece, Dee. And he was getting ready to play at the fiesta that Saturday. The fiesta was a longstanding tradition in our family for my uncles to perform, but also three of our aunts were fiesta queen um, different years. And so it was not unusual for Uncle Ernie to be on the phone, you know, when he had an event coming up or even just every day. He owned a restaurant, so he had a lot of business calls. And so him being on the phone or, you know, being away for a little bit so that he could take a phone call, definitely not something that was out of the ordinary for him. That same day, Isabel got a Facebook message from Ernie. I got a message from him on Facebook that day and, you know, just congratulating me on my anniversary with my partner. He made sure to like, little big moments, he made sure to celebrate those with us. It's definitely something I hold on to. She would have no idea this would be the last message she would ever get from her uncle. 9 p.m. Thursday night. As usual, after working all day, Ernie said goodnight to his last customer. It was just before 11 p.m. when he finished cleaning up and closed the door and locked it behind him and started walking towards his truck, just as he had done so many nights before for nearly 40 years. But on this night, unfortunately, Ernie would never make it back to his truck. The officers had found Ernie lying in the parking lot of his restaurant. He had been shot several times. He was transported to St. Catherine Hospital where he later died. Meanwhile, Isabel is out of town and has just left the airport in an Uber when her phone rang. I was on a trip to Kansas, actually. I had just gotten off of a plane and was on the way to my cousin's house. And my partner, who was home with my family, called me and I sent him to voicemail because I didn't want to be rude in the Uber. Um, and then he called me again. And so I picked up the phone and he, he told me what happened. And I sort of compartmentalized and I put on my professional hat and I asked if my uncle was, he said, your uncle was shot. And I asked, is, is he okay? Is he alive? And the response was no. Um, and I was lucky enough that I was going to a cousin's house at that moment. Um, so I hung up the phone um, and I pulled it together for the rest of the Uber ride. Got to my cousin's house and started crying and was in shock. 
And I know from my partner's perspective who had to watch my mom find out it was absolutely gut wrenching. He had, he, the way he talks about it, it's, it's scarring. Um, but he's never heard my mother make a sound like that before. Um, and for my mom, it was like, obviously it was very hard, but then I was out of state. My other sibling was out of state. And so it was, it was shocking and, and tragic. And, you know, I never really think you're going to get that phone call. And I ended up being with one of the older cousins as well. And so we had to make the hard decision on where we're going to at midnight, call our other cousins and let them know or risk them finding out from the media and Facebook. And so I then proceeded to, with my other cousin, call cousins to let them know. Ernie's family was in complete shock and grief. All they knew to do was to try and find answers as soon as possible. As soon as we knew there was an incident, I had several aunts jump in their cars and cousins, and they drove to the scene to try to find out what happened. Obviously, it was a, there was the police. There's police tape, and there was no answers. But I, it, it was you know late at night, and so early dark hours of the morning. And, Everybody sort of just jumped to react and respond and try to find out what they could find out. I know my mother is out of state, and so she jumped on a plane first thing the next morning. Uh, But it was shocking and tragic. Ernie's niece, Dee, lived out of state and recalls that tragic night and how being together as a family was the only thing they could do. One of the most difficult things that a person can experience is driving or flying to a tragedy that has just happened in your family that you cannot even comprehend. So being on the road, being in flight and thinking my brother, my uncle is gone. Something happened to him. We don't know what, but we know he's gone. And driving towards that tragedy, it's, It is, it's almost not bearable, but you have to, we had to do that. You know, he was so loved and it was so important for us to be there and to be with our family. And I don't wish that on anyone. And I will never forget that feeling. And I know none of us will of driving towards, (sighs) driving towards that. Instinctively, everyone found themselves at Ernie's house, the same house that held so many great memories. Ernie's gathering spot, his home, where he cooked and hosted and where the family found comfort, love, and joy was now the place where they comforted each other, but this time without Ernie. Here's Ernie's niece, Dee, again, and she shares with us how even in his absence, Ernie's home became the place to gather. And walking into his home for the very first time after he was killed was, it was terrible. It was soul crushing. I mean, it was hard to even just get through the door knowing that he wasn't going to be there. That's where everybody went and the community began to gather immediately. I mean, very, very early the next morning, I think people were coming over to the house. Um, Everybody in disbelief. This can, how could this have happened? How could this have happened to Ernie? And I, 
you think about all of the memories that he created in that home. You're never going to see him in his chair. You're, you're never going to see him or hear him play the trumpet again. Or he's never going to say, hey, let's go to the movies tonight. It's just... Even today, it's really hard for me to understand and really hard for me to accept. Even today. In the midst of their grief, Ernie's family came together and opened up the restaurant that Monday morning. Isabel tells us how important that was for her family and the community. You know, the, the, the restaurant started with our, my grandmother's recipes and it was grown with like love and support. We didn't want our last memories of the restaurant to be his death and his murder. And so the day, in the days that followed, we briefly reopened the restaurant and all of my aunts and several of um, our cousins pitched in and they ran the restaurant in those few days after everything happened because they wanted to make sure that the place still felt full of love and care um, because it was so special to him and it was so special to the family. It was super crowded. Um, People came out and they supported the restaurant in full force, um, which I think really spoke to like how important he was to the community and how important the community was to him. Having no known enemies and no connection with illegal activity, both the family and the Garden City community were at a loss as to who would want to hurt Ernie. The most likely scenario was robbery, and surprisingly, only days after Ernie was killed, the police made an arrest. Public Information Officer Aaron Reyes tells us more. It's believed Ernie was shot during a robbery after he closed the business for the night. On September 16, 2019, officers made an arrest in relation to the incident. Marcus William Rohe, he's a transient of Garden City, was arrested and lodged in the Finney County Jail. An affidavit was filed requesting the charges of first-degree murder. Marcus William Rohde was 31 years old at the time of his arrest and was on parole for drug and criminal convictions in both Sedgwick and Finney counties. But this wasn't the end of the mystery. As much as everyone was hoping for answers and justice for Ernie, this wasn't it. At least, not yet. The investigation was still ongoing. Everything was submitted to the Finney County Attorney's Office for review and for them to decide if they wanted to move forward um, in prosecuting Mr. Rohde. But in December 2020, murder charges against Mr. Rohde were dismissed without prejudice by the Finney County Attorney's Office. At the time, the Finney County Attorney said that circumstances dictated the dismissal of current charges without prejudice, meaning that Mr. Rohde could be charged with the murder of Mr. Ortiz in the future should new or additional evidence come to light. So long story short, they dismissed the charges due to insufficient evidence. And that's where we're at today. With the release of Marcus Rohde, investigators are back to square one looking for leads in Ernie Ortiz's murder. Detective Jennifer Simon and Sergeant Robert Ojeda with Garden City Police Department talked with us to let us know they're standing by for tips and hoping someone will give them information. And so what we are looking for is anybody who has any information or uh, tip uh, with 
information that maybe we don't know or we don't know have. And sometimes people think that we already have the information or that we don't need that information. And sometimes a lot of our biggest breaks have come from the smallest detail. So anybody who has information or thinks that they might be able to help is information that we are looking for. So they can call in to just our dispatchers or to talk with an officer. If they call Crime Stoppers, they are able to speak with us and remain anonymous. Part of the time, people will disclose their, their name and information, but a lot of times, they don't want to tell us their information, and we just ask as many questions as we can and gather as much information as we can from them in that way for Crime Stoppers. Well, a lot of times I think some of our tips come in where people think they might not know who actually performed any type of act. They do know somebody who may know somebody that they spoke to about it. So a lot of our tips, and like uh, Detective Simon was saying earlier, it's the smallest details that will give us a lead that we can actually look into. And then from that point on, that's when the, the detectives do their work. And that's what we need, just a little bit of a lead uh, who do we talk to? Who may know something? Who can we tie into something? And that's where you solve cases is by the details. We are also anxiously hoping that there could be any type of lead. And it's, I guess I, we, we can't push enough that the smallest detail is what we're looking for because it, it leads into I've got, we've got some very good people and they will run with just about everything that's on our way. And it just, if I could explain, it'd take me hours to explain to you some of the great work they do based off some of the smallest amount of information. So, and, and some of the, Best work we've done has been in conjunction and partnered with the community because I do think that we live in a community that wants to help, that wants to be safe, that wants to find these people and hold them accountable. And that's where we've done as an agency some of our best work is partnering with our community members and working together with them. We've worked very closely with the family over the last several years on the case um, and just that Ernie was um, a member of our community, and with any other member of our community, um, we're, 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 we're fighting for justice for Ernie and for his family. And for our community, we want to make our community a safer and, and better place to live for ourselves and for our children. In 2021, Ernie's family started a Justice for Ernie Ortiz Facebook page on the second anniversary of his death. Ernie's niece, Isabel, again tells us more. It's called Justice for Ernie Ortiz, and you can find it on Facebook at Justice for Ernie Ortiz. And it really came out of this family collective um, idea, right? So, you know, we all were kind of feeling a little lost. We wanted to get the word out there that the case was still open. It was still unsolved. And so what we did was, you know, we talked with our aunts and our uncles, and we really wanted to connect with each other and work as a force together because we figured all of our voices together could raise awareness for him and his case. It's really important for me to share his story because I definitely want answers and uh, peace moving forward. And so in doing that, we also had started working with Crime Stoppers and wanted to raise a reward to see if somebody would come forward. And so all of that sort of came together and hopefully have somebody step forward or come forward with information. The family also created a GoFundMe account with all of the funds going to offer as a reward for anyone who can give information that leads to the arrest and conviction of Ernie's killer or killers. Currently, that reward sits at $11,000. 
Here's Public Information Officer Aaron Reyes again with the Garden City Police Department. The Ortiz family is the first to partner with Garden City Finney County Crime Stoppers for a reward going to a specific case. So in a sense, this is kind of, you know, a huge landmark deal, per se, for our Crime Stoppers, again, because this is... Um, you know, this is a huge reward. That's also um, the first time that they were partnering with a family and that this reward is going to a specific case. In case you're wondering how you can collect reward money and still remain anonymous, we asked Sergeant Robert Ojeda to explain. Okay, what happens is once they generate uh, the tip, they're given an actual, I want to say an identification number, a way for us to identify just the tip or the call. That information is then provided to a bank or financial institution in town, and the person uh, will be given that in a set of instructions on how to pick up uh, their form of payment at that institution. Um, and we've, been, we've had great success with that in the past. Um, so we, we tell people all the time that they can remain anonymous and still call us or talk with us about things, whether it's through Crime Stoppers or Tip 411 doing everything they can to bring justice for Ernie. Another tool being utilized to solve this case is putting his face and the details of this crime on the newly introduced Kansas cold case playing cards. Here's Aaron Reyes again with the Garden City Police Department. So the idea with these the playing cards is that they're going to be distributed mostly like in um, county jails or state jails, penitentiaries, um, those places where in hopes that people will talk and they'll bring forth information or evidence, and we, you know, we're able to get more information intel, and then go from there. So on top of the reward, and then the uh, homicide case being featured in the first edition of the Kansas Cold Case Playing Cards Program, you could say there's really um, heightened awareness uh, for this case. And we're hoping between the two elements, um, we'll be getting, receiving information that leads to um, an arrest and conviction of a suspect or suspects involved in the homicide of Ernie Ortiz. Ernie Ortiz's family and his community miss him immensely. They've suffered and long for answers on what happened that night on September 12th. The death of a loved one is always tragic, but the death of a loved one to murder is exceptionally hard to come to terms with. I mean, it was just this very random, senseless act of violence. And the fact that we are really back at square one, trying to figure out how it happened, why it happened, is what makes this even more upsetting. You know, we don't have any of the answers. And there's so many of us, and, and we're all trying to do our part to, to figure out how this could have happened. And I just feel like we're still in shock. We're still grieving, you know, every day all over again because we, we, we don't know. It, it, it's difficult losing our uncle. That is the most difficult thing that I think many of us have experienced. But on top of that, because, because he was gone, there was... There's no one who is able to stay in Garden City and keep the restaurant open. We didn't have anyone who could run it. So we as a family had to sell the restaurant because we just could not keep it open. And the same thing with this home, the place where where we gathered and where many of us grew up, 
and we spent so much time together, we have lost so much. And for us, losing him is painful in itself. But not knowing what happened, there's really not the opportunity to sit and be still and just miss him because there's always the added component to it. We don't know what happened. And whoever took him from us or whatever the circumstance was, we don't know. We have no peace. And we will continue in our efforts until we do get peace. There's no closure. There's there's no understanding. But it, it just, it feels like a senseless murder and somebody took somebody who meant so much to the world and recklessly, recklessly like turned out the lights. And there's no answers. We don't, we don't know why it happened. We don't know who did it. And so there's a lot of like unrest and we wanted to all come together to give him the same type of support he gave us when he was alive in trying to figure out what happened to him. As you know, if you listen to our podcast, we often look for a saying or a poem that represents the victim. Listed on the family's GoFundMe page, it says, the dead cannot cry out for justice. It is the job of the living to do so for them. Lois McMaster Bujold. Anyone with information on Ernie Ortiz's murder is asked to call the Garden City Police Department at 620-276-1300. If you have a tip and wish to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers at 620-275-7807 or text your tip to TIP411, which is 847-411. Text tips also remain anonymous. There is a reward offered that leads to the arrest and conviction of Ernie's killer or killers. That is a wrap out on episode 10. Thank you guys for being with us and listening to Ernie's story. He has this great big, huge family, and it was just so nice to get to hear all the love and all the, the stories and the memories that they have of their uncle. More than 30 nieces and nephews he has all together. Can you imagine? Like, that's incredible. Well, he had a big family to begin with. And if you talk to, I mean, I only talked to a couple of them, but I believe one of them said at one time, like, they all believe that they were his favorite. Like, they all say how much they felt like his children. Like, he made them all feel special. And for a single man, I don't know about you, but like the single men that I know that are busy businessmen and community and have things going on, like, I don't really know. That takes someone special. I don't really know anyone personally that takes such love and interest and just has the things that they said about him. I just thought that was amazing. Well, I think in my experience, any, you know, uncle or aunt that decided not to have kids are the best uncle and aunt to have around because they dote on the other nieces and nephews. Like, and I think that's always the most like fantastic thing if you're lucky enough to have one of those and you want to hold on to them. But, you know, Lori, you talking to the family, just hearing these stories, like you can feel the vibe of the family. You can feel how fun and festive. And I just, I'm a big fan of, of families and family get togethers and that, you know, tradition. 
And I guess when I hear this family, that's what I hear. It's just, you know, tradition and generations of family. And you can tell that family meant so much to him. You can also tell that I would have loved to have went to his restaurant. He's like that guy that when you walk in, he probably knew everybody's name. He knew what they liked to eat and he probably made the best food ever. And that's just in my head. But that's just, I feel that when I hear this story. Exactly. And how much it meant to everyone. And so, you know, I think the thing that the important thing here is that there's such a hole in this family. They're missing that link, that patriarch that kind of held them all together. And, you know, we're just really hoping and praying that this family has answers and they've come together. I mean, for such a huge family, they've come together. They're rallying together the Facebook page, the GoFundMe page, working with Crime Stoppers and the police department. But again, they did have the arrest early on. So, you know, if anybody else, you know, has known of anything, and I think that's where these cards come into play, whether it is him or somebody else. If it was a robbery, like we learned, Marcus Rohde, they said he has a record. So he's been in in jail. So again, people in the jails, that's where these cards can come in. Okay, so let's go back to that. So it's September 12th, 2019, you guys. And it was in Garden City, Kansas. And Ernie's restaurant, the El Conquistador. And I apologize if I'm butchering that. But um, but that was his restaurant. He closed up for the night. He walked out to go to the parking lot to his car. And he was shot several times. Now, you know, I guess the most obvious motivation for this crime would be robbery. However, it's not that cut and dry. If anybody was around, if anybody was in that area, if anybody heard somebody say something and believe it or not. And once again, if you guys listen to us, you'll know one thing we found. People talk even when they shouldn't talk. They always do. So somebody, I promise you, somebody who did this told somebody about it. If you were on the outskirts of this, if somebody told you and you didn't tell at the time, it's okay. Come forward or call, just get the information out there to the family. And somebody is living with this, you know, and and a lot of cases that we hear, people were in different scenarios in their life. And, you know, maybe they were abusing drugs or alcohol and something happened and, you know, Ernie ended up being killed and you're living with that. I know it sounds crazy, but come forward. So many people say that they, you know, they can't live a proper life knowing that something like this happened. It blows my mind, the community, um, that rallied around this man and the signs and everything that were that were put up in honor of Ernie. So he is very missed. Um, and if there's something that the police are missing. So maybe you don't know exactly who shot Ernie, but you know maybe what the motivation was or you have additional information. I know it seems like nothing, but I promise that the police and the family would love to hear whatever it is you have to say. Exactly. And just doing the right thing can help a family heal and get justice for Ernie Ortiz. Absolutely. So thank you guys for listening to this episode. We are so grateful to have you along for this journey. And we will see you guys on episode 11. And again, we want to remind you guys that we're super excited to introduce our Patreon page where we can offer additional content and we have a little more time and a little more freedom to just throw some things out there that we think you guys would be interested in. So there are more details on that, but it is definitely coming. So stay tuned. Special thank you to Eva Dubasak as assistant editor on episode 10, the Ernie Ortiz episode. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. 
Healing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubasak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE Special Agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victim stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you for listening and join us next time on Dealing Justice.